Would you please turn with me to Genesis chapter 13? There was a young couple in northwest Indiana who were having some problems with their son. They were raising him, and he had a similar habit that many young preschoolers do, and that he had a security blanket. This young boy's name was Seth, and he had a security blanket that he took with him everywhere. He would not leave it for anything. The problem was Seth was getting a little bit older, and that blanket was just going everywhere, and they could never talk him out of it. And so these parents had to figure out how they were going to solve this problem. And then they had the light bulb moment. You know what I'm talking about? The aha moment. They said, we know what we can do. Seth will not stop carrying this thing around, and there are consequences if he doesn't have his blanket. So when Seth wasn't looking, they took that security blanket, and they actually cut it in half. And when he wanted that blanket, he got half of his blanket which amazingly enough, he was perfectly content with. And then after several days, what they did was they took that security blanket that was half size and once again, they cut it in half. And when Seth would go out, he'd have that blanket with him and he was perfectly content because he had the security of that blanket. It went on and on until the point where it was so small that some individuals that knew Seth would ask the question, hey, Seth, do you have your security blanket? And he would say, sure do. And he'd hold up this thing, not much bigger than a postage stamp. And you and I look at that and we think, well, how silly to put so much security in a blanket. And even sillier when it's cut down so small to have so much confidence in that. But many of us are not really much better. The place that we put our security is oftentimes in the wrong place. As God looks down upon us and as God shares His grace with us so that we can be saved, we still, as little children sometimes, will go looking to the wrong place for our security. We're going to be looking in Genesis chapter 13 today, and we're going to learn some lessons from this patriarch, Abraham. And it's a lesson about where does our security lie. As we look into God's Word today, what we'll see is the idea of generosity, what one teacher calls other people living. Generosity or other people living are not the norm in this world. But they can be the norm for you if you know where your security is supposed to lie and you have the faith to put it there. You and I are going to feel the most secure when we view our physical blessings that God entrusts us with and God gives us the physical blessings of this world in the confines of the spiritual. Everything that God has given you you need to view it through a spiritual lens. All that to take us to Genesis 13. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a pew Bible in front of you there, and it's page number 11 on that pew Bible. Two characters that we're going to be focusing in on today, 
And um, also next time, we're going to split this chapter in half. We have two characters, Abram and Lot. Both of these men have been greatly blessed. They've been blessed with wealth. They've been blessed with position. Now, before we get done with chapter 13, we're going to find that both of them will move their tents. They're both going to go somewhere different. And we will see that they clearly have a different idea of where their security lies. As I look at this passage, there's some very practical applications for us. The first one that I see is that you and I need to choose the freedom that comes by letting go of the temporary. There's so much freedom that God has available for us, and we find a great lesson in that here. We're going to look at the arrival as we start. Look at verse number 1 of Genesis 13. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and Lot with him into the Negev. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. And he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. We're traveling through the life, this journey with Abraham right now. And as you're learning about Abraham, you need to understand the amount of wealth that he has accumulated. It's important we have pictures in our head when we think about these Bible characters, and he, he goes and travels to Egypt, and now he travels back. What size group are we talking about here? We get some helpful information in the next chapter. We'll get to that eventually, but in the next chapter, we see that Lot gets into some trouble, and Abram has to rescue him, and he sends from his tribe, from his group of people, 318 trained fighters. In Abram's group, he has 318 trained soldiers, fighters. So how big is the whole group going to be? You have the wives, you have the children. It's over a thousand. It might be approaching a couple thousand. Think of a thousand or two thousand people traveling around in this group. Don't think of just a small caravan of 20 or 50. Hundreds and maybe thousands of people that are going around. And Abram has great wealth. The size of his group is incredible. But Abram is not, he is not spoiled by the wealth that he has accumulated. He's not spoiled by the influence that he has. And the reason is, is because as he has accumulated these things, he does now allow those things to become his place of security. Where does his security lie? in the God that presented himself to him one day. And this allows him to not hold on so tightly to those things that many people will die holding on to. Had the opportunity to watch with my daughter a movie called The Greatest Game Ever Played. We watched this just this past week. It's a, based on a true story about a young golfer and he was uh, not a rich person. He started out as a caddy, but he goes on to be one of the best golfers in the world. His name was Francis Wimet, 
And Francis, we met as he is a young child, he has the opportunity to meet the greatest golfer in the world, who at that time's name was Harry Varden. Harry Varden is traveling around, and he's doing some demonstrations of his golf swing, and people are clamoring to see this golf giant, Harry Varden. And young Wynette gets the opportunity to go and to visit with him for a short time, and he actually goes and gets to swing a golf club, and he's a little boy when he does this. He's in front of his hero. He's in front of a crowd of people. And as he takes that golf club and he swings it, he whiffs the first one. He just taps it and everybody around watching laughs. And at that point, the expert walks over. Varden goes over to the young boy and he puts his arms around him and he says, when you grab a hold of the club, here's what you need to think of. You need to think of it as like holding a live bird. If you let go of it, hold it too loosely, it'll get away. If you, firm too, if you grip too tightly, you'll kill it. You have to hold on to it just right. How many of us are holding on to our possessions with every muscle in our body? Everything that we have has a death grip on those things that we've worked so hard for. And when we view our possessions instead as God's generosity... We won't hold on so tight. That's what we see with Abram here. Abram's life was good, and Abram's life was guided by this quality. But don't take my word for it. Now he's going to be tested. Did he really have this kind of a spirit about him? Well, we find an argument in the next few verses. We find what some would call a problem. And that's the next lesson that we learn from this, is that you and I need to recognize that our, quote, problems, unquote, are in fact opportunities. You and I are surrounded with a multitude of opportunities. Opportunities for God to do something amazing in our life. Let's look at the argument. It starts in verse 5. And Lot who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together. For their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen. We are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. We find some great judgment that is demonstrated by Abram here. He's mature. He understands what it takes to be a leader. And we need to remember, we can go back to the end of chapter 11, Abram is acting as Lot's father at this point. Lot's father had passed away, and so he is leading in that way. And it's so wonderful to see this godly man making good decisions and being so selfless along the way. Now, I need to just make a side note. For those of you who are enjoying this study in the life of Abraham, if you can 
you know, step back a ways, look at it from 30,000 feet, there's an interesting lesson that we learn, and it's about worship. When we see Abram first starting in chapter 12, the first nine verses, we find two times where it says that he stopped and he built an altar. He worshiped the Lord. Now in chapter 13, we're going to find two times where he stops and he builds an altar and he worships the Lord. Right in the middle of that, was the episode we talked about last time in our study. In, chap- in verses 10 through 20 of chapter 12, he's in Egypt, and he makes the horrible decision to let his wife go to Pharaoh and to lie about her being his wife. And in that short time, we find zero times where he stops and builds an altar and praises God. We find no time where he stops and asks God for direction And the side lesson for us is is that good judgment goes hand in hand with worship. When you and I are close to our God, when we are worshiping Him, that is the best place for us to be to make sound judgment. When we look at this problem, the problem that he now has, we understand that there's not enough room to hold all of Abram's people and all of Lot's people, all the the livestock from both groups, all the tents, everything that came along, these thousands of people. Don't think of it as just going over to the next county here in our area and there's plenty of grass over there. They had to really work to get enough grass to feed all of those animals the Middle East was so, is, is so much different than our place where we live today. And so there was a problem that was there. But Abraham sees the problem instead as an opportunity to be generous. How often do we hear about that? We don't hear it enough when someone is faced with a confrontation or a problem that they turn that, they turn that into an opportunity to be generous And that's exactly what happens here. We don't hear about it because with most of us, there is a spirit of jealousy. A spirit of jealousy that will drive our covetousness. A spirit of jealousy that causes us to hold on to the things that we have. And nobody better take that out of my hand. And if we would just stop and think about the strife that can be avoided. The strife that people face in this world that causes ulcers, sleepless nights, fighting among family, among those who used to be friends, the mental heaviness that we take on, all because of the spirit of jealousy, all because of a lack of willingness to share, to give to others, that which we are only entrusted with. It's not really ours. We didn't do anything to get it. It was God who blessed us with that. Where does the strife come from? James talks about this in chapter 4 and verse 1. He talks about self-centeredness. James 4.1 and on down says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, and so you fight and quarrel. 
You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. And Abram is a fantastic example of one whose passions reflected the passions of God. You and I need to be Christ-like in this way. Jesus Christ gave and He gave and He gave. I heard a quote years ago that has stuck in my mind since I was a kid. It goes like this. If you have to look to see if anyone's watching, you probably shouldn't be doing it. I like that quote. And so let me ask this question. If you were able to steal... And I'm not fudging on that word there, stealing. If you were able to steal and get away with it and no one would find out, would you do it? Some of us answer very quickly, well, of course not. I'm a good Christian person. But how many who name Jesus Christ as their Savior steal time from their employer? How many will steal when they do their taxes? How many will steal when they think they have it coming to them? They can justify it. It's going to come down to your character. It's going to come down to where does your security rest? With Abram, we see where his security was resting. You see, it is not a lack of food that causes people to steal. Instead, it is a lack of a fear of God. I'm not trying to say that some people might not be in a more desperate place than others, but if we genuinely know God and fear Him, we will respond in a way that reflects His character. And Abraham knew that God was the one who was responsible for the blessings. And so we do not see him with a tight grip on those possessions. And some of you might say, well, sure, Abraham was blessed wildly. Look at his wealth. Look at his influence. Look at everybody that called him boss or called him father. And many of us would like to be blessed in that way. Abram was a steward of that, and Abram did well. And might it be that God cannot trust some of us with that kind of wealth, with that kind of position? The applications are obvious for us here. We've already talked about uh, two of them. We need to recognize that everything that you own is actually God's. Are you able to do this? Are you able to go... And get in your car when we leave from this place and say, thank you, God, for this car that you've entrusted me with. Some will argue right away, hold on a second, I worked an extra job to make that car payment. Are you able with everything that you have to understand that it's actually God's? And by the way, it's all going to get burned up in the end anyway. Nothing that we have here on this side of heaven is going to make it across. Just the wonderful works that we do for our God, serving Him, telling people about Jesus Christ, sharing the gospel, and working for Him. 
let go of these temporal things. They're not going to be around much longer. Moth and rust, they will corrupt. And then expect the Lord to guide and to bless when you face the problems. We've not gotten to the solution yet. Some of you are familiar with Genesis 13. We're going to spend more time on that next time. But expect the Lord to guide. I was rebuked just this morning talking to one of our leaders around here. And I was telling him about a, quote, problem that I have, unquote. And he just kind of grinned. And he said, boy, what's the Lord doing there? What an opportunity, is what he told me. And I looked to see if he had a copy of my notes for my sermon today, and he did not. We are surrounded with a multitude of opportunities. They are opportunities for us to brag on God. When it's hard, when you cannot see the end, when there's no way man could work this out, trust in God. Lean on Him. And just wait for the God stories to come. God will bless, God will get involved, and then you can brag on your God. You don't brag on your qualities, you don't brag on your work ethic, you don't brag on everything that you've been able to do. God brings us to the end of our limited resources and steps in, and we brag on Him. And the world will say, well, no, you did that. Or that was just dumb luck. And you will say, I serve a God who is bigger and is greater than anything anybody has ever known. And the things that I have, I don't hold on to them too tightly. The problems that we face are often the God stories of tomorrow. And it comes down to the question, where does your security lie? What are you counting on? As we walk through this world, there are thousands upon thousands of things that say, trust in me, count on me, depend on me. And there's only one. There's only one who will never let us down. And there's only one who will bless us beyond anything that we could possibly imagine, even beyond Abraham. You and I stand in a place to receive blessings from God that we have not earned, that we do not deserve, and that He is waiting in heaven to give to us. He is just waiting for you to ask. But we need to not ask according to our own passions. Our passions must line up with the passions of our God. And when we do that, our time through this world will be one time of God blessing after another and we will talk him up and we will brag him up and no one will be able to convince you that something was just dumb luck no one will be able to talk you out of the fact that God had his fingerprints all over that are you excited to see what God wants to do with your life I hope you are his plan for you is immense it's incredible we are faithful on this side of heaven. And then we have a God with unlimited resources, ready to bless, ready to encourage, and ready to give us just a little more wind in our sails as we're on this side of heaven. Would you pray with me? Gracious Father, 
when we come to you and when we study your character, there's so many things about you that we don't understand. Your justice, your holiness, your wrath, your mercy. And we, as your children, benefit from your character. Would you allow us to walk through this world with our hands not clenching tightly on the things that will disappear anyway? Would you allow us to understand that you've made us stewards of that, whether it be time or talent, whether it be wealth, whether it be abilities? We praise you, Heavenly Father, that you have made us wonderfully in a place where we can not only love you and know you, but we can serve you. We thank you, Lord, for loving us. We praise you for the cross of Christ that made all this possible. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that we get to now come to the table of communion and remember the death and resurrection of Christ. While we have our heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to give you a chance to prepare your hearts. I'm going to ask the men who are serving if they would make their way to the front. Everybody else, just take a moment. Think about what Jesus did for you before we take of the elements.